you have your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 21. Last Sunday we mentioned that God uses three methods to move us from an intellectual belief into an obedient faith. Last Sunday we looked at hell and that was the punishment as the motivation to get us to do what we should do and to live up to the responsibility that God has given us. We also mentioned that he has a promise of reward. And that's what we're going to talk about today, heaven. That is the reward, the ultimate reward of plan of the salvation that we will have is where we will spend eternity with our heavenly Father. We also talked about or mentioned that his third motive is his great love. We'll talk about that next Sunday. There are some people that are motivated by the thoughts of hell. I mentioned one last Sunday. Others are motivated by the, by the thoughts of heaven. A place when we read about it in the Bible, very hard to describe, but yet it's a place that we all want to go to because we realize the joy and happiness that will be there. And then we think of all the things that God has done for us and how he's demonstrated his love for us. It should move us and motivate us to serve him. In Revelation chapter 21, I want to read the first few verses of that chapter. It says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountains of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And drop down to verse 27. There shall in no wise enter into, enter into it anything that defileth, neither whosoever or whatsoever worketh on abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then chapter 22, verses 1 through 7, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruit, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be in no, wise, no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These things are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the Holy prophets sent his angels to show unto us servants the things which must shortly be done 
Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of this, of the prophecies of this book. First of all, when we talk about heaven, we need to realize that heaven is a real place. Heaven is not some figment of our imaginations or someone's imagination, but God made it a place within, or made it and a place to desire in our lives or in our hearts, in our minds, for a desire to go to heaven. Man is always held on to the hope of heaven. Look forward to a better life in the hereafter. God has given us that hope, and He has placed it within our inner being. There is a desire for life after life. There are some who want to say that this desire only is, takes place in the Western culture. Because of Judeo-Christian heritage, we believe that there is a heaven. But when you look back at some of the other civilizations in, our, in the history of man, we realize that this instinct or this longing or this hope, whatever you want to call it, for heaven is, a, is in every major civilization, whether they have a Christian background or not. For instance, in, Babylon, in the Babylonian and Persian and Egyptian cultures, they had a longing for life after life. The pyramids stand as a testimony of their belief in a life after life. And the Egyptians had that uh, belief because God had placed the thought of eternity in their lives, just like he has in all of mankind. The Greeks and the Romans had a place in their culture for e the eternal destiny. And then when we look at Native American Indians, even though, even though they were far removed from uh, ancient civilizations by two major oceans, half a world away from the uh, Asian, African, and European cultures, yet when the pilgrims arrived, they found that the Indians had a strong belief in life after life. So this is not some Western culture thing. It is not something that we've come up with because we follow just the Bible, but you see this longing, this desire in all of ancient history. And so it's something that we need to contend with, we need to think about. Why was that there? Why is that desire there? Because God has placed eternity in our hearts. That's why He made us. We're made in His image. And listen to these scriptures that affirm that there is the, there is the reality of heaven. Job asked the question, If a man live, or if a man dies, shall he live again? Then the answer to that question is yes. I believe the Bible and other things that we can read show us that it is a yes. David speaks of uh, repeatedly of life after, after death or living forever or everlasting life. And he mentions those things in his Psalms, chapter 21 and chapter 23, 121 and 123. And in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 2, Daniel says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Jesus mentioned it in Matthew, the 25th chapter, when he talked about the judgment. And he states that some would be given everlasting punishment, while others would be granted eternal life. In John chapter 14 and verse 2, it was Jesus who said, I go to prepare a place for you. In other words, why would he go and prepare a place if there is no heaven? Paul stated in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And then Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, 
to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. So indeed we read in the Bible, and there is no doubt that the Bible teaches us the reality of heaven. And so when God promises us a home in heaven, it is something that is real. It's a place that we can go to. It is something that is there as a reward for those who overcome sin and overcome Satan and live faithfully to serve our Lord while we're here on this earth. And so I guess the question, next question would be, is heaven a place or is it just a state of mind? Is it something that's real? Well, what do you think? Well, I'm not sure what the answer is to that question. But I do know that the Bible has some very specific things that it states about heaven. And I believe that heaven is a place, a place that we will go to. Why do I believe that? Because Jesus said in Matthew or in John chapter 14, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. So he had gone to his father's house and in his father's house were many mansions and he was going to prepare a place for his disciples, those that were followers of him. And Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13, it's the apostle Peter who says that they, we look for a new heaven and a new earth which seems to indicate that heaven is a place and not just a state of mind. And there are other, several other scriptures that indicate or allude to the fact that heaven is a place that we will go to and spend eternity there. Heaven is spoken of as being the place of God's abode. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father which art in heaven. Jesus is said to, to have come from heaven to this earth. And he's going to return to heaven. Uh, and he did return to heaven and now sits at the right hand of God. We also see other passages of the scripture that show us that the angels are said to have come from heaven and will come from heaven. And at the end of time, Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, which are coming from heaven. And we're also told by Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven. And so I believe that it's a place. And so those scriptures uh, make no absolute conclusion. And I don't suppose it really matters. All I know is it's a promise that God has made to us. And it's a place that we want to go to. If I was asked for a show of hand, who wants to go to heaven? After you heard what hell's like, how many would want to go to heaven? Don't raise your hand. I assume all of us want to go to heaven. That's why we're here today. But the surprise is going to be for a lot of people out there in the world. And maybe for some even in the church who think that they're going to go to heaven, but they're not. Because they haven't lived faithful to God. They haven't put their trust and faith in God. We mentioned last Sunday about Cornelius, a good man, did a lot of good things, prayed, gave alms, did a lot of things that people respected and honored, but yet he needed to obey the gospel. And one of the things that we learn from Scripture is that when the Lord comes back again with His mighty angels, it's going to be to take vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we need to obey the gospel. We need to be baptized into Christ and live a faithful life in service to Him. So if you want to go to heaven, there are certain things we have to do. When we look at heaven, it's hard to describe. 
even when the, even the New Testament writers, I think, attempt to describe the joy in heaven, and they fall short in some ways. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse 21, it says, And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gates was of one pearl, and the streets of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. In Revelation chapter 21, <clears throat> verse 18, the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. Do you see the problem there with those verses? Do you see the problem there in that description? Gold as we know it is not transparent. We can't see through gold. But there's the picture that it gives us in revelation of what heaven is like. And so John is trying to describe <clears throat> something that is beyond our imagination or even our comprehension. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. Does that mean God lives in a mansion? Does he live in a house? Well, I don't think so. But I believe that Jesus was simply describing the grandest thing that our human mind could comprehend. The Holy Spirit, when He gave us the Scripture, in attempting to communicate things to us, celestial and spiritual and heavenly joys, had to use language that you and I can understand. And our language is very limited when you're talking about God and heaven and what is prepared for us. So let us look at what we can learn this morning from the Scripture. What is heaven like? Well, first of all, we learn that heaven is described as a city. <clears throat> From our scripture reading, heaven is a city. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 10, we can find where Abraham looked for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. Abraham was looking for that home. He was looking for that place. We can also see in chapter 12 of Hebrews in verse 22, that Hebrew or that heaven is referred to as a city of God. And so we look at it also in our scripture reading that it is a new Jerusalem. The idea from this scripture is that it will be a community of believers, a community of those who are faithful to our Lord. Heaven is a fellowship of those that have been redeemed, those that have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Heaven is a family of the saved, those who have prepared their life for the hereafter, those that are prepared to stand in judgment and realize that they're going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, because they have been faithful to our Lord. It was sin that broke that perfect system that God had in the garden. Heaven is God putting this relationship back as he intended in the beginning. Why do people want to live in communities or cities? Well, some want to live there for protection. Some want to live there for the services that are offered. I think you can imagine if you lived out in the middle of the wilderness, you could understand some of the problems that might exist if you needed help. Someone's coming to harm you. The police are a long ways away. Someone that uh, their house may catch on fire out in the middle of nowhere. 
It's going to take a while for the fire department to get there. But there's other services that we realize in our society that we like and appreciate. Libraries, museums, stores, different things of that nature. People like communities because of the provisions that are provided. But most of all, I think people like communities because of the togetherness. They have neighbors. They have friends. People that are close by. People that can encourage them and help them. You can help them and encourage them. All of those are reasons. When you think about heaven, the city of God, the creator of the universe is our protector. And think about the description that we read. The, the gates of that city aren't going to have to be closed. Can you think of a better protector? Now, I would imagine most of us, when we left our house this morning, made sure the door was locked behind us because we don't want someone to go in. We want to keep the honest people out. God is the protector in heaven. And there's nothing to be afraid of, nothing to fear. Provisions included in, in, in heaven will be eternal life, provided by the tree of life and the river's river of life. We found in our reading that God is the light and the lamp of the city. We won't need candles. We won't need uh, 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 lights. We won't need anything. God is the light of that city. <clears throat> he is also the temple. And we will worship him forever and ever. Think about that. Together in heaven, with those who loved our Lord, who served faithfully. What a fellowship that would be. What a community that would be. What a city that we would want to live in. That's where I want to be. That's where I want to go. How about you? Second, heaven is a home. In John chapter 14, <clears throat> Jesus says that heaven is a home. It's a place in his father's house, is the way he refers to it as. In the Greek, the word mansion is the same word that is used for dwelling place. And in John chapter 14 and verse 23, the same word that is used for a home or mansion is abode. And that's the word that is used in our King James Version. Uh, it says in John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If any man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Now when you think about when you get there, I've heard people say, Well, if I just have a shack, I'll be happy. When you get to heaven, don't look for a house. Don't look for a mansion because heaven is not a house. Heaven is a home. And there's a big difference between <clears throat> a house and a home. And I think that we all realize that there's a great difference. Have you ever gone house hunting? Have you ever gone looking and shopping for a house to buy, to live in? You want to know how well that house is built you look at the walls, you look at the ceiling, you look at the roof, you look at the basement, you look at the foundation. You might check out the, the plumbing. You might light a fireplace if that's what's in the house. You might do all kinds of things to test it because you want to make sure that it is a sound house. You walk around the yard, you listen for the neighbors. You listen to see if the neighborhood's quiet, if it sounds safe, if it sounds 
comfortable. You may even hire an inspector to come and check out that house to make sure that you didn't miss any problems. And so you hire someone to come and look to see what they find. But when it's all said and done, it's still just a house. Floor, ceiling, walls, and a roof. But we move in. We paint it. We paint it the colors that we want. We put up pictures. The children and the grandchildren come. At Thanksgiving, the whole family's there. At Christmas, the family comes together again. You build memories around the, the New Year's, the spring, the summer, the fall, and the winter. Memories are made and problems are solved. Joys are shared. And in time, that house becomes a home. Home is a special place. It's a place where there's security. Home becomes a refuge. There's a sense of permanence. It's not going to be taken away. Home is where we are accepted as we are. Home is where there's a sense of belonging. You feel comfortable there. You love the place. You love the people. Oh, sometimes they get on your nerves. But in heaven, they won't get on your nerves. Brethren, God wants us to know that heaven, that in heaven, we'll be permanently at home. Always welcome. Always accepted. Because we are his sons and his daughters. <clears throat> in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 3. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Think about it. Forever at home with God. Can you think of a better place to call home? Third point. Heaven is a place of eternal joy and happiness. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 21, Jesus said, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many <clears throat> things. Enter thou into the joys of thy Lord. In heaven, we'll go and we'll share the joys of our Lord. Sometimes heaven is best described as what's not going to be there when we think about heaven we need to understand that there's a lot of things that will be absent almost ran out of room there on that screen but the bible tells us that he'll wipe away all of our tears there'll be no more sorrow no more sickness no cancer no other diseases that we have to deal with here on this earth. There'll be no more crying. Can you imagine going to a place where there's no tears, no crying? No more separation. No more death. No more mourning. No more pain. 
If that was the only verse in the Bible that described heaven, wouldn't you want to go there? There's not a place on earth like that. There's not a place on this earth where we can escape all of those things that are there. And you have people that will say, well, how can I be happy in heaven if I know there's other people there that, that I love that aren't there? I think at that time we'll realize that it's our relationship that's important. My relationship, your relationship with God. And I've always looked at it this way, and I've said it many times. So I'll, I know when I worked on this sermon, I was thinking, I'm not really telling anybody anything I haven't already said. But I've mentioned before that the child falls and skins his knee, comes crying to mom. Mom can kiss that knee and it'll be taken care of. He'll stop crying. She'll stop crying instantly because mom gave the comfort that was needed. And what I see here on this, in this verse is God's going to wipe away all tears. And that kind of indicates to me that even on the judgment day, those that are faithful may have tears in their eyes because we see those that are lost. And some will be people that we love and care about. Some will be family. Some will be friends. Some will be brothers and sisters in Christ. But a mother can kiss a wound and it can get better. or It can comfort that child. And if a mother can do that, God shouldn't have any trouble wiping away our tears to where there's no more pain and suffering and mourning. Revelation 21 and verse 4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. True and faithful. God said it and it will happen. Indeed, heaven is a place of endless joy, peace, and happiness. I want to go there. I hope you do. In heaven, fourth point, there will be no sin. Heaven is a place, a life, an existence where sin is over. In scripture, there is symbolically, it is symbolically represented as white robes. In heaven we'll be clothed in white robes is what the scripture says. That's the picture that it paints for us in the book of Revelation. In heaven there'll be no more sin, there'll be no more guilt, no shame. All of those things will be gone. Why? Because nothing that defiles will enter into heaven. So there'll be no sin in heaven. Listen, sin is responsible for all the bad things in this life. Now, there's a lot of people that would never admit that, but that's what the Bible teaches us. Sin is the problem of everything that's bad in this life. All the pain, the sorrow, the sadness, all the troubles, all the trials, all of life's ugliness, all the things that are terrible uh, are the result of sin. Either our sin or the sins of others going all the way back to Adam. Death is a major problem that we face in this life. Uh, it makes it difficult on us. It's hard. We mourn, we're, we're sorrowful, we're upset. But why did it happen? Because Adam and Eve in the garden sinned. So it's because of their sin. Sickness, because of sin. Not maybe the person, not because of the person uh, sinning, but all of those things came into the world as a result of sin. 
We live in a sinful world, but in heaven there will be no more sin, no more remorse, no more regret, no more guilt. Think about that. Those are two things. When we talk about God wiping away our tears and no more pain and suffering, the second point would be no more sin. Wouldn't that be a place you want to go to? And God tells us about that. And that's the motive that he gives us to help us to be faithful. The truth will have, a, have set us absolutely free as the scripture has taught us. There will be no sin, no consequences of sin, nothing. No one impure or unclean will ever enter heaven's gate. As I read in verse 27 of Revelation chapter 21, and there shall in no wise enter in into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh an abomination, nor maketh a lie, but they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. Sin and sinners will not be in heaven. Only those who have had their robes washed clean by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I want to be one of those people. I hope you do too. Fifth point is, <clears throat> in heaven we'll be in the presence of God. In hell, we're totally separated from God. As I mentioned last Sunday, in hell... <clears throat> it will be the first time that we've ever experienced a time where we have not received blessings from God. In this world, we receive blessings from God. Even if we don't believe in God, we don't believe that he exists, we say awful things about him, we still receive blessings from the sunrise, sunsets, uh, rain, uh, all those things that God still blesses us with. In hell, there'll be none of those things. But in heaven, we'll be in the presence of God. Revelation 22 and verse 4 said, And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. We'll see God. What a privilege that will be to be able to see our Father who resides in heaven. We'll see God as he really is, face to face. Three times in Scripture we're taken into the very presence of God by Isaiah Ezekiel, and by John. And in all three of those instances, they tell of their experience, they are in awe of what they see. Can you imagine what heaven will be like? Think about all the awe-inspiring sights that we've seen in this world. Maybe you've been to the Grand Canyon Pretty awesome. Yellowstone, Redwood Forest, Smoky Mountains, Appalachian Mountains, Redwood Forest, sunrises, sunsets, waterfalls. Some of those things can be very inspiring to see. We stand in awe of his creation. We stand in awe of his handiwork in this world. What will it be like 
to see our Heavenly Father face to face. Can you think of anything better? Just think about what will happen when we see the reality of God and what He has prepared for us in heaven. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Do you love God? Do you really love God? Do you love him enough to obey him? Because as this scripture tells us, we can't even comprehend what all he has in store for us. finally which I think is the most important heaven is obtainable you, uh, you could not imagine the number of people over the years <clears throat> that have told me that God could not forgive them that God wouldn't want them that it would be impossible for them to live a Christian life. Heaven is for those who will be moved, who will be motivated, who will be compelled, nudged, constrained by the promise of reward. God wants us to realize he sent his son because he loved us. He's prepared this place for us because he cares about us and he loves us. He's warned us about hell because he does not want anyone to go there. Everyone can be saved if they want to be saved. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also and whether I go ye know and the way ye know and Thomas said Lord we know not whether thou goest and how can we know the way John chapter 14 and verse 6 Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life no man cometh unto the father but by me Jesus is the way. We need his blood in order to have heaven as our home. I can't do enough to earn it. I can't buy it. I have to do what our Lord says and rely upon the blood of Christ because without that blood, we're lost. Go back to Cornelius. Good man, good citizen, did a lot of good things, prayed, gave alms, did all those things, but yet he needed the blood of Christ. And so Peter was sent to him to tell him what he must do in order to be saved. And that's what people need to do today. If they want heaven as their home, they need to turn and put their trust in our Lord. Peter tells us in 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. We can make our calling and election sure. We don't have to live in doubt. 
We don't have to go around saying, oh, I hope I'm saved. I wish I was saved. I think I could be saved. We can know that we're saved. And we can know as a Christian that we're still in that saved condition by doing the things that he's told us to do. We can make our calling and election sure. First John chapter 5, verse 13. John tells us, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, <clears throat> that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Is it impossible to know whether we have heaven as our home? It wasn't impossible for Paul. He knew. And it's not impossible for you and me. Sometimes we doubt. Sometimes we wonder, is it going to be our home? Because we know that we could do better in serving our Lord. But yet we don't. And so the question for this hour is this. Has the promise of reward the reward of heaven moved us and compelled us or motivated motivated us or constrained us to make any significant changes in our lives. That's not just for the non-Christian. That's for the Christian also. Maybe there's changes that we need to make. We need to overcome. What does the scripture tell us that we need to do in order to make heaven my home? Well, first of all, I have to have faith. In Hebrews 11 and verse 6, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, a, is, a, that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That faith has to be based upon God's word. Romans 10 and verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I trust and I believe and I obey because I trust what the Bible says. Because that word tells us what our faith must be based upon. And so we have faith in what the Bible teaches, and our faith must, must prove to us or motivate us to trust our Lord. In John chapter 8 and verse 23, Jesus said, I am the way, or I say therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. So I have to hear that word. I have to have faith, and I have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's important because if I don't believe that he is, that he is the son of God, then I'm going to be lost. Jewish people back in the days of Jesus was looking for someone else. They didn't believe Jesus was the son of God. Jesus is plainly telling them that he is and that they needed to obey him. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Jesus makes it very plain that we have to have faith. And we have to be obedient in baptism. In Luke 13, verses 3 and 5, he tells us that we must repent. I tell you, nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And he repeats that verse or that statement again in verse 5 of Luke chapter 13. You see, we can't expect to be a child of God and go on living like we have. We have to change. We must be, become the kind of person that God wants us to be. And that's the problem that we have sometimes. We're selfish. We want what we want instead of what God wants. And so I'm going to do what I want and say, heaven's still going to be my home. That's not the way it works. I have to turn away from what I want, the sinful ways that I have, and put my trust and faith in God and do the things that he wants me to do if I want heaven to be my home. You see, the New Testament tells us that we also need to be baptized. And that's what Jesus said in Mark 16, 15, and 16. And that's what he was told to Saul when Ananias went to him 
In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, Now why tarriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord? Galatians 3 and verses 26 and 27, it says, We are the children of God by faith. For as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ and have been clothed with Christ. So without that baptism, we're still in a lost condition. We have to be baptized for the remission of sin in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. We need to do those things. If you haven't done that, then you need to do that this morning. And then heaven could be your home if you're faithful. Because we know that Revelation 2 and verse 10, at the last part of that verse says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. We've seen in our scripture reading that heaven is for those who overcome. Overcome what? Overcome temptation. Overcome sin. Overcome the worldliness of their lives and live to serve our Lord. Perhaps others are in need of making things right with God. For the church, we realize that sometimes we sin. We don't always do what we're supposed to do. There's an opportunity for us to repent, turn away from those things and come back. Maybe we need the prayers of the church to help us maintain our salvation by walking in the light of God's truth. We all need encouragement. We need to help each other. Don't turn your back on what you know to be the truth. Let the promise of a reward in heaven move you to respond to God's calling because we know the alternative. And that's not where we want to end up. And so this morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, we would encourage you to come. Have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.